Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. What a blessing it is to be able to be gathered together this afternoon to worship our triune God. A hearty welcome to those who are present here, to those who have joined us also by live stream. Any visitors who are in our presence, welcome to you as well. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may it also cause us to live our lives to the praise of his name. Consistory has the following announcements. The consistory as elders only will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 8 p.m. in the consistory room. And Reverend Veltman, our emeritus minister, will lead the worship service this afternoon. Before we commence, let us sing together hymn 37, verses 1 and 2. Service, we first of all confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he grants you grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's praise the name of the Lord. Let's sing in Psalm 18, the verses 1 and 10.
communion with the Church of all times and all places, we will confess our Catholic undoubted Christian faith, this words of the, the Apostles' Creed, and thereafter we'll sing from Psalm 28, verse 4. Psalm 28, verse 4, after our confession of faith. Everyone speaks with me in his heart. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God and Father, we thank thee that once again we can be in thy presence to praise and worship thee as the God of our redemption, our strength and shield forever, as we could sing it, praising thy name. Lord, we thank thee for the assurance of which we could also sing. The assurance that when we trust in thee, thou wilt always be there for us, failing us never. Lord, when we think about these riches, we confess that our lives do not always reflect that true thankfulness. Thankfulness for all these undeserved blessings. We confess, Lord, that we do not always live kingdom focus. There are also times that we are taken up by the things of this world. To the extent that in prayer we even forget to thank thee from the heart for all that gives for all that thou gives us each day. Every heartbeat, every breath 
is a gracious gift from thy hands. And Lord, so often when we wake up in the morning, we take it almost for granted that we not even thank thee for it. A new day, and the heart still beats. We are still oxygen to breathe in. Lord, how good thou art. And so we pray thee, make us aware of these things more and more. So that our lives becomes, become lives of worship, lives of thankfulness in every area of life. Knowing, Father, that we cannot, that we cannot do anything from ourselves. From ourselves we are hopeless. And yet thou art there with thy mercies every morning. Lord, help us to live in thankfulness to the glory of thy name for all these blessings so undeserved received. Blessed to this afternoon also this afternoon, blessed to this afternoon, blessed to this end also this afternoon's preaching, Lord. Help us in listening. That we may listen attentively. So that we may go home strengthened and comforted in faith with a renewed desire to serve thee from the heart. Be so dear to us, both in speaking and listening. Lord, when we think of the preaching of the gospel, we pray thee, bless the preaching of the gospel wherever it goes out today. Bless the work of the mission field. Also in PNG, Father, the missionaries there, the colleagues, will thou provide and give them what they need. Lord, we thank thee for the fruit upon this work. And that's not because of the workers, but that's because of thy grace. Thy work. And that not only in PNG, but in so many other places where the gospel goes out and people may hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, grant that many may still come, who at present still walk around in darkness. Will thou open their eyes when they hear the gospel and soften their hearts so that they, in a world full of unrest and anxiety, may find, may find rest in Jesus Christ, rest and peace as only thou can give it, Lord. We lay all this before thee, Father, asking thee to hear our prayer, to accept our thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll now open God's words in connection with Lord's Day 14. We will read two passages of Scripture. First, from Philippians. Philippians 2, the verses 5 through to 11. And after that, we'll turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians. So, first Philippians 2, starting in verse 5 through to verse 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, the name of, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We page back to Paul's letter to the Galatians. We will start the scripture reading. Galatians 3. We do that in verse 23, not in verse 26, but in verse 23. Galatians 3. Verse 23, reading through to chapter 4, verse 7. We read that the word of God as follows. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that he might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under, under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you're Abram's offspring. Heirs, according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers, until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also were children enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, through God. There's a response response to the reading of God's word, sing hymn 23, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
now turn to our confession. First of all, we read Lord's Day 14, the Lord's Day we will focus on. And then in connection with Lord's Day 14, we'll also read Article 18 of the Belgian Confession that deals with the same subject. So first of all, Lord's Day 14, question answer 35. What do you confess when you say, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus, he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator. And with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin, in which I was conceived and born. Now turn to Article 18. So we page back the book of praise to page 506. Article 18, which also deals with the incarnation of the Son of God. We confess, therefore, that God has fulfilled the promise he made to the fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets. When at the appointed time by him, he sent into the world his own, only begotten and eternal Son, who took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of man. He truly assumed a real human nature with all its infirmities, without sin. For he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by an act of man. And he not only assumed human nature as to the body, but also a true human soul in order that he might be a real man. For since the soul was lost as well as the body, it was necessary that he should assume both to to assume both, to save both. Contrary to the heresy of the Anabaptists, who denied that Christ assumed human flesh of his mother, we therefore confess that Christ partook of the flesh and the blood of the children. He is a descendant of David, born of David according to his human nature, of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of woman, a branch of David, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Descendant from Judah, descendant from the Jews according to the flesh of the seed of Abram. Since the son was concerned with the descendants of Abram, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. In this way, he is in truth our Emmanuel, that is God with us. In response to the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 20, the verses 1, 2, and 4. Hymn 20, verses 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation, 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord's Day 14 deals with the gospel of Christmas. The glorious news that God sent into his world in this into this world his only begotten son who for our sake took upon himself a, re- a real human nature with all its infirmities yet without sin that means he was without sin but he suffered the consequences of sin the infirmities temptation and trials we also deal with now in doing so god came as near to men as he could. Never came God closer to man than when the word became flesh. True, God had always been near to, to his people from creation. In paradise, for example, before the fall into sin, God's majesty never caused any restraint. Adam and Eve enjoyed God's intimacy when he walked with them in the garden, in the cool of the day. Just imagine it. That God really would walk with you tonight, say along the beats. As close as that. Even after the fall to sin, God remained near to his people. We read about Enoch and Noah that they walked with God. Abram was called the friend of God. Moses spoke with Moses face to face to the extent that Moses had to put a veil over his face. Otherwise people, otherwise people could not even look at him. So close had he come to God. God watched over his people also outside Jerusalem. He went with them along the steepest cliffs. He was there when they traveled over the mountains and through the valleys. He was near to his people always. So you wonder, could God even come closer to his people as he was already? Why did God also have to become man? Well, that was beloved, because there was no other way. His payment could be made for our sins. And that's why Christ took upon himself a true human nature, assumed our flesh and blood without sin. And that's why he was born from a virgin. Now many people find it hard to accept. This part of the doctrine has always been a stumbling block. You can talk about the doctrine of Christianity, but when you talk, I've experienced that on a number of occasions, when you talk about the virgin birth, they just laugh at you. That's impossible. Stumbling block to belief. And that not only for believers, but unbelievers, but also for many modern Christians nowadays. They don't worry about whether it all really happened as the Bible tells us. That's not all that important. After all, it's only mentioned twice in Scripture. And so that's true, because only the evangelist Matthew and Luke refer to the virgin born. Virgin birth. Mark and John do not mention it. There is no mention of the virgin birth in the apostolic letters either. So they reason it can't be all that important. So if it had been or not been, ultimately, that doesn't matter. 
Now it's true that the fact that Jesus was born from a virgin is mentioned indeed only twice in scripture. But that's not a value, that's not a, a real argument, an argument that has well, value. After all, brothers and sisters, we don't base the trustworthiness of our faith on the number of times a fact is mentioned in Scripture. Moreover, though the Apostle Paul, for example, hardly speaks about Christ's birth, while Christ's resurrection is mentioned many times by him, that doesn't mean that the Apostle Paul had no interest in the birth of Jesus. To use an example, one can speak many nice words about a house-solid structure without mentioning the foundation. But it doesn't mean that the foundation is not essential. Well, that's how Paul wrote his letters. He speaks about the solid work of Christ. Perhaps not all that often about the foundation. But nevertheless, that foundation is essential. Now, when you look closer at Paul's letters, it's not entirely silent about the birth of Christ. And then I think of what we, and that's also the passage of scripture I would like to focus on a bit more this afternoon. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we may receive the adoption as sons. And that's what also Article 18 quotes, saying that at the appointed time, at the fullness of time, the Messiah was born. So this, after I preached the gospel regarding the birth of our Savior, was sent by God at the appointed time, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So first of all, he was sent by God at the appointed time. That's what also Article 18 confesses, when it starts as follows. We confess, therefore, that God has fulfilled the promise he made to the fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets. Well, at the time appointed by him, he sent into the world his only begotten son in the form of a servant, in the form of man. That means God took the initiative. God took the initiative. As also Article 17 speaks about it. We believe that when he saw God, that man had plunged himself into physical and spiritual deaths and made himself completely miserable, our gracious God, in his marvelous goodness and wisdom, set out to seek men when he trembling fled from him and comforted him with the promise that he would give his son born of woman, Galatians 4, to crush the head of the serpent and to make men blessed. Adam, where are you? I want you back in my camp. God to the initiative. That's how God, after the fall into sin, came back to man promising that the Messiah would come. And then, when the fullness of time had come, the Messiah did come. Now, why is that period, or why is that time when Christ was born, called the fullness of time? Some say that was a very appropriate timing. 
saying that there was ripeness of opportunity for scattering the seeds of the gospel everywhere. And then they mentioned three points. The spread of the Greek language throughout the civilized world. The presence of Jewish synagogues in many places enabling Christian missionaries to start in the synagogue and from there on go to the Gentiles. And a network of Roman roads and to some extent the enforcement of Roman peace. See, look at this. The fullness of time, it was there and that's why Christ came. Now that might be true, but who governed all this? That did not happen like that. God governed everything. From before the foundation of the world, God had already set that time. And all that would happen beforehand to make that time the fullness of the time. That's how God ruled history throughout the entire Old Testament. Working to the coming of Christ, governing all things. And brothers and sisters, that's how God also governs all things today to come to the second coming of Christ. Everything that happens in your life, everything that happens in this world, God governs it so that he, at the appointed time, and God has already appointed that time, Christ will come back. Everything serves that purpose. And that that's how we also have to look at history. God was governing the Old Testament. Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, kings, appointed by God at the appointed time to bring Israel, Israel out of Egypt, to bring them into exile, and to get them out of exile. God governed all that to come to that appointed time. And that's how God still governs the world. Stalin, Hitler, Putin... They all appointed by God to come to the time that Christ will come back. You know that it's an enormous, an enormous comfort to look at that. Tomorrow is May the 9th. What will Putin do? The world is on edge. Will a nuclear bomb go off? be it put into Ukraine or elsewhere in Europe. Are you scared? Father is in control. Not one nuclear bomb will leave its bunker without Father's will. So I go quietly to sleep tonight and what happens tomorrow is governed by God. And all this, as was at the time of the Old Testament, all this is to come to the second coming of Christ. And in the same way, we come back to that, Israel was guarded by the law. We will get, go back to Galatians 4 in a minute. But the law was there. And the prophets prophesied, but they didn't listen. And that's why they were not ready when Jesus came. Many turned their back upon Jesus, even though they could have known. Look at today. Has the pandemic, 
changed people's life? Has the war, the war in Ukraine changed people's life? No. You can read it in your Bible. Read Revelation 16. It goes about God's wrath poured out upon this world. And then again, the pandemics are mentioned, the wars are mentioned. And the refrain first is, in Revelation 16, they did not repent. They did not repent. Look at the current election campaign. Have you ever heard, hardly ever, Scott Morrison, let alone Albanese, have they mentioned God's name? It's not important. They did not repent. Even after two years of pandemic, nothing has changed. Even though all the tension in the world, nothing has changed. Open your Bible. Read your Bible. You see it. And that's how we should read our Bible. Then you get comfort. Let's go back to Galatians 3, verse 3 and 4. Paul speaks about the law that tutors us to Christ. He says in verse 23 and 24 of Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith will be revealed. So that the law was our guardian until Christ, in order that we might be justified by faith. And that same image is also used in chapter 4. But the Apostle Paul speaks about a child kept under guard until it has matured enough to become heir of the estate. And Paul uses that image to make clear the distinction between the Old and New Testament. The period before Christ coming into the world is often called the ministry of shadows. The full light had not risen yet. And that's also the way God dealt with his, with his people in the time of the Old Testament. It says in chapter 4 verse 3, In the same way, we also, when we are children, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's the time of the Old Testament. Now the Greek word, the elementary elements of the world, refers to essential elements that make up the world. And then in the ancient world, the essential elements were earth, wind, water, fire. Essential elements, which sometimes even were worshipped as gods, governing the universe. But Paul addresses the Jews, who throughout the Old Testament were governed by all kinds of laws. And you could call that the essential elements, the ABC of God's people needed for that basic education to lead them to Christ. So they were not so much kept under bondage, but by this education, God kept them under God. In the days of the Apostle Paul, a tutor, or a guardian, was an enslaved person responsible for a child's training, especially for pointing things out and punishing misbehavior. Like a tutor or guardian, under the Old Testament, the law did exactly the same, pointing out sin and punishing it. 
Another vital function of the guardians in those days was to separate and to protect the child from the influence of outsiders. And again, the law functioned in a similar way to separate the Israelites from the Gentiles. But then with the coming of Christ, all this changed. Christ would break down the dividing wall and redeem those under the law. After all, the law aimed at bringing people to Christ. I hope the image is clear. I mentioned already that during the time of the Old Testament, God's people often forgot about this aspect of the law. They saw it as a burden. They rebelled against it. And that kindled God's wrath to the extent that in the end, they were led into exile. But then after exile, not much had changed. Instead of rebelling against the law, as some still did, the majority of the people saw the law now as a doctrine of self-righteousness. So no longer a guardian, an instrument to lead them to Christ, but to get saved by a certain set of rules, you could be saved as long as you kept the law, that will happen. And so they took offense at the preaching of Christ. Offense at the gospel of grace. They refused to accept Jesus of Nazareth as a Messiah sent by God. They could not see that the time had fully come of which the prophets of the Old Testament had spoken. They were not ready for it, to meet their Savior. At that time there was only a small minority of people awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. But it did not make God change his plans. For God is always faithful to the promises he made. Given already in paradise. That one day the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And in so doing, this person would set God's people free. Truly free. Throughout the history, stained by the sins of God's people. God kept working towards that great date. The date to bring the Messiah into the world. And he would not only save the Jews. But he would save all who in sincere faith would embrace him as their redeemer. And so that's how we also have to read the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. I bet you that God was working towards the coming of the Messiah. Why? Why was God ultimately, if it makes it practically for today, why was God ultimately working towards the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament? Because he sought you, of you and me. That's how you have to read the Old Testament. That's our history. The history of Abram's seed. And we are by faith Abram's children. God was busy. When he let Abram out of... Out away from, from, to Palestine. Of Ur, the Galdean. God sought of you and me. That's how you to read the Old Testament. That becomes a book about you. What God did for you. And that's how God is busy still today. How glorious a gospel that is. When you read your Bible more and more that way. That will bring you closer to God. But when the fullness of the time had come. God sent forth his son born of a woman. Now, Paul does not actually speak here about the virgin birth. Yet, 
implicitly he does. He speaks about God sending his son and he speaks about a woman. He does not refer to an earthly father. Therefore, even though in concealed terms, we may still see here a, a reference to the virgin birth of Christ. Why do I stress this? Because this part of our doctrine, brothers and sisters, is essential. In the introduction of the sermon, I said some modern theologians consider the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth, not all that important. And that, that they come with arguments like it was only mentioned, it's only mentioned twice in scripture. But you could also use Galatians 4 verse 4 as a proof text. Others have said if Christ had no earthly father, he could not have been true man. But also that negates God's almighty power. John the Baptist once testified that God could raise up children to Abram even from stones. I could also refer to creation. Neither Adam nor Eve had earthly parents. And yet they were, and yet they were true men. Well, Jesus had at least an earthly mother. So Christ was born, and not only of a woman, but he was also born under the law. Born of a Jewish mother into a Jewish family. He was subject to the Jewish law. Through his entire law, life, the Lord Jesus always submitted to the requirements of the law. He did where others often failed. He perfectly fulfilled all the righteousness of God's law. After all, that was Father's law. And it was his, his joy to do Father's will. In addition, he was burdened with our sins. And submitted himself to the curse of the law by dying for us on the cross. And you have to look here at two things, brothers and sisters. And it's always good to mention that. Because if you, during my active ministry, would ask in the catechism class, what has Christ done for you? And then the standard answer was always, he died for us on the cross. And that's true. But that's only 50% of the story. What did Christ do during the 33 years before? It was then, through those 33 years, that he became our righteousness before God. If you go to Lord's Day 23, it speaks about Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness. Now, the satisfaction, that's what he did on the cross. He died for our sins, took the curse away. But by living a life in holiness, in faithful obedience, Christ became our righteousness. What does that mean? Look at your own life. Stained with sin. Not a day that we do not sin. And now Christ says, I, where you often failed, did everything perfectly. Children, where you are disobedient to your parents, that sin. But when you ask for forgiveness and also say sorry to your parents, then Christ with his white clothing comes in front of you and that's how God sees you. Not you, but he's Christ. Because we are in Christ. Christ is my righteousness from conception. From conception. 
That, that's also a tremendous comfort. We are conceived and born in sin. A baby dying in the mother's womb, conceived in sin. But righteous in Christ. But also dead. That's why Christ was born. Conception. From conception, not from birth, but from conception. He was our righteousness, is our righteousness. A tremendous comfort. Stillborn babies, premature babies, miscarriages, you name it. Children of God, in Christ, righteous before God, despite that they were conceived and born in sin. What a rich gospel, Lord's Day 14 is, for those parents who have gone through that experience, but Christ is there, also for those little ones. That's his righteousness for us. And then by dying on the cross, he bore the curse. So that meant he had to obey God's law perfectly. That we were incapable. He was capable, but he, as I said before, he lived life with all its infirmities. So he felt the pain, the tears, and whatever. He knew how broken his life was, but he didn't give in to it. He remained obedient to the very end. Born of woman, born under the law. He never failed in keeping God's commandments. And so he took the burden under which we would have perished eternally upon his shoulders. And as fruit of all this, we are no longer slaves who are burdened with a job we can never finish. Instead, we have been set free, freed from the curse of the law. Do this and you will live, but we can't. But in Christ, we can. He will lead us to the Father. And in him, we are children. And because we are children, we are also heirs. Galatians 4, 5 mentions the word redemption. It's uh, in both the Jewish and Greek and Roman, in both the Jewish, Greek and Roman worlds, an enslaved person could be bought free. But the ransom had to be paid. And he had to get the money himself, or someone else could do that. Well, to pay our ransom, God sent his son. And that not only for Jews, but also for Gentiles. Freed by Christ, who paid our ransom with his blood. He purchased us. On the cross, he sealed our pardon, paid the debt, and set us free. And therefore let us daily sing from our Redeemer. In Christ, we have received the adoption as sons, we who by nature are children of wrath. Yet, as we hear it every time that the form for the baptism is read, we are sanctified right from birth, and that because Christ, I mentioned it already, which is innocence, covers in the sight of God my sins in which I was conceived and born. So God no longer looks at our unholy beginning, but at the holy beginning of Christ. In Christ, our life has received a new foundation. And you have to keep on to that. Because 
if you read Paul's letters, he often used that expression in Christ. And that's the greatest riches to which we cling. We are in Christ. In Christ, our life has received a new foundation. And, and that's, that's a tremendous riches. If you read, for example, Romans 7 and 8. The, Romans 7 is the chapter where Paul sp speaks about how he struggles with sin. About to do the right things, but he do the wrong things. Even Paul. To the end, at the end of that chapter, he says, Who will redeem me? I am a wretched sinner. There is help. And then he says, thanks to God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the end of chapter 7. And then he starts Romans 8 by saying, And therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And then Romans 8 talks about the suffering of this world. But in the end it says, Whatever happens, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's life. But in the meantime, we struggle. We struggle. Because if we look at our confessions, then I think of Article 15, where it says about original sin, just imagine, that talks about you and me. Article 15 says, it's a corruption of the entire nature of man a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb and as a root that produces in men all sorts of sin. And then it even says, it's not abolished nor eradicated by baptism for sin continually streams forth like water welling up from its woeful, wars, woeful source. So if you read that, they say, what now is the actual benefit? The minister talks about nice things but this is what we daily struggle with. Now make that clear, I'd like to turn with you to article, to the Cairns of Door, chapter 5. Cairns of Door, chapter 5, article 1 and 2. Beautiful chapter, the perseverance of the saints. It says there, Article 1, Those whom God, according to the purpose of his call, to his purpose, calls into the fellowship of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and regenerates by his Holy Spirit, he certainly sets free from the dominion and slavery of sin, but not entirely in this life from the flesh and the body of sin. Therefore, daily sins of weaknesses spring up and defects cling even to the best works of the saints. And these are for them a constant reason to humble themselves before God and to flee to the crucified Christ. Now, there are two camps in this world. You have the camp of God and the camp of Satan. Man was under the dominion of God. Paradise. But then he became friends of the devil, so he became under the dominion of Satan. So that was our bondage. Yeah? But God said, I don't want you there. I want you back in my camp. Adam, where are you? And so God took Adam with the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15 and brought him back in his camp. Here we are, no longer under the dominion of Satan, but under the dominion of God. 
But the problem is, since we had been under the dominion of Satan, we took something along. And that was our sinful heart, our old nature. It's like a magnet plays up. So here's the borderline. We were under the dominion of Satan. We became under the dominion of God. And God says, hate and flee sin. But what do we do? We always try out the borderline. It's like a magnet. And then it plays up, it clicks, and we cross the borderline. Psalm 1 is a beautiful example of that. Psalm 1 speaks about walking, standing, sitting. Don't walk in the way of the sinners, nor stand, nor sit. Now, in the catechism class, I made it clear as follows. Say, young people, on Saturday night you go to Fremantle, and you know that there is somewhere also a nightclub. You know you shouldn't go there. But it wouldn't affect us if we just walk through the street and see what it's all like. So you walk through the street and you just walk. And I'll say, there it is. That was Saturday night. But the other Saturday night, you say, yeah, okay, we walked through the street, but we didn't see much. So, so let's stand still and see what it's all like. Oh, that wouldn't be nice. It wouldn't be nice to have a look inside. So the next Saturday night, you go in and sit. Walk, stand, sit. That's us. And it's not only about a nightclub. That's what you move with Netflix or whatever you do. Ah, okay. A bit of blasphemy, but it will not happen again because the story is nice. You'll see the end of the movie. Are you honoring God's name? See, that's what it is. And that's what it also says. Christ has set us free from the dominion of Satan. But not from the magnet yet. And he says, that magnet will not play up as long as you stay close to me. If you walk with me. It's, it's a woeful source, Article 15 says. But we may cover ourselves in Christ's holiness as long as you do it. See, in Christ, our life has received a new foundation. And so, who are you? Who are you? Still that person that likes to flirt with the world? Or you rejoice in being in Christ? And if you rejoice in being in Christ, then you have hope. There is future. A new beginning. Indeed, it can happen at times that we get depressed because we like to do away with certain sins in our life and we never seem to succeed. Every day again we follow through the same sins. And then after a while, we, who would not despair? We start doubting whether there will be ever a possibility of a new beginning. But that new beginning is already there. When you look at Christ, a new beginning where what is impossible with man becomes possible with God. Everything is possible with God, as long as we believe. And that's, if that faith is not an effort from our sake, but accepting the gospel, and that God works faith in our heart by the Holy Spirit, that we embrace Christ, who died for us at Calvary, 
and made a new start for us in Bethlehem, even before the time already, in his holy conception. So, brothers and sisters, Lord's Day 14 tells us in doctrinal terms what Christmas is all about. But in a practical term, tells us that there is hope in this broken world. A new beginning for broken marriages, for broken relationships between parents and children. And whatever new beginning we need in the struggle of its life, Christ is there. And by the renewing power of his Holy Spirit, it will be possible. See, that's the gospel. And when you leave that gospel, then you feel it. And it's not a feeling, but you have also the certainty. So the question I leave you with, how do you look at yourself? As a miserable person who never gets any further in life. Or do you see yourself in Christ? From conception, his righteousness is there. And throughout life, he is there to help you. And when you live that way and there is brokenness in merits or whatever there is, call your knees as a husband and wife. Bring it before the Lord. When there are troubles in the family, bring it before the Lord. And then the Lord will help you. Cling to Christ. Walk with him. Look at his amazing grace. That grace has led us safe thus far. And when we cling to that grace, it will lead us safely home. Amen.
let's give thanks. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the opening of thy word, for that rich gospel, that wondrous story, that in thy boundless love and mercy, thou hast set us free from sin and death. We thank thee that thou hast sent thy son, who willingly took our nature, so that in that nature he could seal our pardon, pay our debt, and set us free to make us righteous before thee. Lord, again, when we think about this, we can only marvel at thy amazing grace towards us sinful children of thine. Marvel that in Christ thou hast become our Father again, who cares for us, so that nothing ever so that nothing will ever befall us without thy will, safe always in life and in death. Lord, around us we see a world in turmoil, full of anxiety, on edge. But this afternoon we could hear that when we cling to thee, for us there is no need to become anxious no need and yet at times it does happen that amid the trials of life and the upheaval in this world we forget to look on high and therefore it was good that this afternoon we could refocus on Christ the foundation of our life and that he will bring us safely home but be so near to us throughout this coming week as congregation we commit one another into thy care as we do so Father we pray thee in particular for those who are sick and their loved ones a lot of times sickness can hit hard especially when it involves all kinds of treatments and visits to the doctors and specialists Lord will thou be near surrounding these children of thine with thy special care. We pray thee for those who struggle with mental health, depression or other struggles. At times hard when from the outside everything seems to be okay, but inwardly we struggle and cry. Lord have mercy, will thou provide. We pray thee for widows and widowers. Father, we cannot understand when we haven't experienced that it's ourselves what it means to be alone. And that's something that children and grandchildren can feel, that emptiness. We have the comfort, and yet there can be that loneliness. We kneel to all those widows and widows. We pray for those who have loved ones who suffer from Alzheimer's. Again, Father, it's hard to understand but thou art near. Thou knows what lives in our hearts. Will thou provide us in those circumstances? Father, on this Mother's Day, we pray thee also for mothers and fathers who grieve about children that have left thy way. Lord, it's sometimes hard to deal with, especially when there is no contact. Sometimes we don't know, even know where our children are. We need to those parents, Father, but in particular also to those mothers 
Well, Father, mothers deal with it different than fathers. Thou hast created the females emotionally different than males. And then these mothers have carried these children under their heart. And that hurts. They have cared for them as a baby, raised them, and then they are gone, not knowing at times where they are. Lord, we live in today's time of grace, and to that we cling. Christ has not yet come, and he's knocking on the doors, also of these wavered ones, but also on our doors, Father, so that we too are ready when our Savior comes, or when else. Thou calls us home. And that can be any time. And Father, when we cling to the gospel we have heard this afternoon, we don't have to be scared. For we are righteous in Christ, and for those who are in Christ there is no condemnation. Nothing can separate us from thy love. But help us then also to live that way. Each day. To repent for that. It's a call for all of us, Father. Every time the gospel is preached, it comes with the command to call, to, to believe and to repent. Help us then to work with the word we have heard this afternoon. To thy glory and for our comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing conclusion, hymns 3, the verses 3, 4, and 5.
got to mention the collection, but the collection will still be at the door. May the Lord bless our gifts of thankfulness. Receive thou the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.